my purpose and mission in life is to motivate myself and others through my music and writing to help others find their purpose and mission in life and to teach values that encourage everyone everywhere to do and be their best. And then right below that, I, I have four paragraphs, and I won't read the whole thing, but it's a message from me to piano teachers and piano students. And the first paragraph says this, if you come to piano lessons each week and walk away only having learned about music notation, rhythm, and dots on a page, then I have failed as a music mentor. I'm Ben Capelo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Gerald Simon. Gerald Simon is the founder of Music Motivation, a company he formed to provide music instruction through workshops, giving speeches and seminars, and concerts and performances in the field of music and motivation. He is the creator of the Cool Songs series and the Essential Piano Exercise course. Gerald is also the podcast host of Music, Motivation, and More, the Positivity Podcast with Gerald Simon. His YouTube videos have received roughly half a million views, and three of his piano exercise books reached number one on the Amazon Music Theory New Releases bestseller list and have since remained in the top 50 best-selling music theory or music exercise books. You can listen to Gerald's music on Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, and all online music stations. Gerald's books and CDs are also available from Amazon. Gerald, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Today, I want to talk about your ideas regarding making music theory exciting for students and not a chore, as well as some specific resources you offer to help. I remember one time I was teaching a music tech slash theory course at a music school, and everyone was on the same page that when we were advertising the course, the title of the course could not include the phrase music theory because they were worried that no one would sign up the minute they saw the phrase music theory. So why do you believe so many students tend to be off-put by the idea of working on music theory? Well, truthfully, I believe music theory has become a curse word in many yeah. ways it, because it, students have fear. As soon as they hear theory, it becomes something that is painful, this drudgery, this dreary experience that most have undergone. And I think in part it's because how theory has been taught. They, they've taught music theory on one side, but they've never actually shown the practical application. Mm. I, I refer to it as the practical application of music theory. Sometimes I call it piano fundamentals, emphasis on the word fun. And, and it's how you take the theory and you actually apply it. Because if I know my scales and if I know my chords, and I tell students all the time, if you know your scales, if you know your chords, if you know the intervals, if you can play any song in any key, that's wonderful, but it, it doesn't do anything for you. Mm -hmm. How can you take it to the next step? What can yeah. you do with it? Yes, absolutely. And I wanted to talk about today some different ways that we as teachers can get our students more excited about theory. And I think actually the most important way is what you just said there, is making them clearly see the connection between theory and performance so it doesn't feel kind of abstract. And so I enjoyed looking through your publications uh, prior to this inter interview, and you often go straight from the concept to playing. 
Um, and this is an approach that I very strongly advocate for. Um, so for instance, after writing about pentascales, you gave a fun assignment. After you've, I'm quoting you now, after you have played this in every key, try composing a simple piece of your own using the pentascale and the accompanying triads. It's fun, exclamation point. See what you can create, exclamation point. So can you talk about your thoughts regarding how you make the connection between theory and performance as clear cut for your students as possible? Perfect. No, that's wonderful. It's, it's interesting because when I, I first started composing and, and teaching music theory and, and coming out with music books back in 2004, shortly after I was married in 2003, and I started doing workshops and seminars with piano teachers and even their students. And I found that there were three main areas that piano teachers and piano students, there was almost this gap. And one was music theory, one was improvisation, and one was composition. Mm -hmm. And so I started teaching music theory, improvisation, and composition, and I referred to it as theory therapy, because we all need therapy. You know, after we've learned the theory, we, we need to know what to do with it. The, and then with improvisation, I referred to it as innovative improvisation, how to take it, like I, I have a book about how to take a song and play it 100 different ways. Yeah, that's the left-hand piano book. Yeah. Exactly, 100 left-hand patterns every piano player should know. And so what I, what I found out is that when I would speak with these piano teachers and their students, I would even ask the students, how many of you know a pentascale, like C, D, E, F, G, the first five notes of the C major scale? And they would raise their hands. And then I would say, how many of you have learned intervals, like a first, second, third, fourth, fifth? And, and I wouldn't even talk about harmonic or melodic. I would just say, do you know like, what a fifth interval is, C to G? And they would say, yes. And then I would ask them, can you compose something? Yeah, you, and suddenly and, deer in headlights. And all of a sudden, yeah. It, yeah. it was like this, you want me to do what? Mm -hmm. and, and I would even tell them, and, and if you're okay I, with my keyboard, I can play some things, kind of show you. Yeah. But Please. I would take a fifth interval, like C to G, okay? Mm -hmm. So I would have C to G, and I would tell them, go back and forth as eighth notes. So we would have this one and two and three and four and bum, 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 and this ostinato pattern. Well, then I told them, if you can do that with the right hand, take C, D, E, F, G, play those notes in any order, any rhythm you want. And all of a sudden you start composing. So I would say, start with an E with the right hand, then go to a G, then go to a C. And then I would say, if you did that on C, you could go down to F. You could go to A, you could go to G, and they don't realize they're following a chord progression. You know, they're doing the one, the four, the six, the five, but all of a sudden, they're composing. Yeah. And, and music comes alive right. for them. And, and it's not just the dots on a page anymore. All of a sudden, they, they start playing and they see how it becomes their music. Yeah, and, and by that point now they've truly internalized what a fifth is, what a pentascale is, in a way that they wouldn't if they just regurgitated kind of on a theory worksheet. A fifth exactly. is this. Is uh -huh. It's more fun and I think pedagogically more beneficial. It's, it's hands-on approach, you know, mm -hmm. the practical application. So. I love that activity about an ostinato fifth pattern in your left hand and your right hand can improvise above it in a pentascale. I'm going to try that with my students. Try it. That's it, very fun. It's fun. And all of a sudden, it's like the lights go on for them mm -hmm. and they get so excited. Mm -hmm. um, and the next way that I want to talk about about getting kids excited by music theory is having them um, is through the repertoire that the students are playing. 
and teaching theory through that repertoire. Mm-hmm. I know there are many teachers who really only ever teach theory through repertoire and they never use um, devoted theory books. Although you don't limit yourself in that way, you do often write about theory in your thought in your mm-hmm. songbooks and you connect the pieces to the theory concepts that the piece utilizes. Can you talk about your thoughts regarding teaching theory through repertoire versus using concentrated theory resources? Perfect. Now, for, for me, I, I think it's fun. <laughs> Part of it is making yeah. it fun for the students. And I, I actually created a, a series called a, the Cool Song Series. Yes, and I wanted to talk about that series. And yeah. it's, it's interesting because how that developed and how I began composing them, it was actually one of the biggest struggles for me personally as a piano teacher because I had, at the time, I had published my second music book. I had my first music book I ever published was an introduction to scales and modes. Not all that exciting. And the second book was Variations on Mary Had a Little Lamb, where I took Mary Had a Little Lamb and I played it eight different ways. You know, where we had Mary's Lamb meets Mozart. The, the whole book was about Mary Had a Little Lamb? Yeah, it was Mary Had a Little Lamb. And it was, we had eight or nine different arrangements of Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I, I wrote it out and they learned how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb nine different ways. Hmm. But because of those two books, all of these piano teachers started contacting me and started sending to me piano students who wanted to quit the piano. Yes, I read about this, and I think I saw uh-huh. in one of your other interviews, you said you had up to 100 students at one time. At one time, I had up to 100 students, and I Insane. was... Insane. Nope. Honestly, no piano teacher should do that. And these were one-on-one. These were not group lessons. These were one-on-one. No piano teacher should do that because you'll get burned out. But I was teaching Monday through Saturday, like 10 to 12-hour days, and what happened is because I had these new students who honestly wanted to quit and hated the piano, they did not want to play anything. They did not want to do theory. They did not want to. And I told them I wanted them to learn theory. And some of them would say, well, I want to be able to play like you do, but I don't want to know scales or chords. And, and I would say, well, that's how you learn how right. to play better. But that is how I started composing these cool songs. I would actually turn to the student and I would say, Let's, I'll compose something right now for you. You tell me what you want me to compose. You pick the key. You pick the style. You even tell me if you only want one or two notes with the left hand. I'll do it. And during their lesson, I actually composed the music and I notated it in Finale, which is just a music software notation program. Yeah. And I printed it out and I sent it home with them. And this shift started changing because all of a sudden, these students who told me they hated the piano and wanted to quit and wanted nothing more to do with the piano they they started getting excited about the piano for the first time and and some started even bringing friends and their friends would ask if they could take lessons from me and i thought well this is a good thing but this is also a bad thing because i, I have no room yeah. <laughs> to teach them but it, it was all because i would teach them a chord and i would say have you ever learned a, a sixth chord like a c sixth chord and they would say yes and i would say play it for me and they would play it and they thought it was so boring and I said, can you break it apart now? And they said, what? And I said, take a sixth chord and then break it apart, C, E, G, A. And they did that. And I said, now add a minor seventh interval on top with a B flat. And now you're playing a walking bass pattern. And all of a sudden, you know, I had a lot of teenage boys. All of a sudden, they would say, that, that's all it is? That's it? You take a sixth chord, you break it apart. And all of a sudden, they, they would sit down, and they would try this, then they would go to F, 
they would try it on F because it's a sixth chord, and then you add the minor seventh interval above, they would try it on G. And then I would tell them, take a sixth chord with the right hand. Yeah, now it sounds like and, real jazz music. And now they're, and, and all of a sudden, they would start to play it for family and friends, and everyone would rave about it, and all of a sudden, right. it, it was not this theory that was yeah. this dead topic, it was alive to them. And they, they were so excited. Yeah, I've noticed this in my own teaching that if there's a student who has had years of lessons before you that were nothing but Hannon, Stritch uh -huh. Classical, even the most basic improv exercise, like what you're talking about of just going, even just the basic of that. Yeah. Uh -huh. could be thrilling because they've never had an opportunity to improvise in that way before. I actually haven't tried what you're discussing about writing a piece for them and saying, okay, I'll write a piece for you right now. Tell me how you want. And then fully notating it and send it to them. That's a very exciting um, it, option at, too. As a teacher, it's, it's a challenge because, you know, during their 30 minute or hour long lesson, you know, I, I'm composing something for them and they would tell me the key signature. They would tell me whether they wanted it major yeah. or minor and, and so, how empowering must it feel to go from years and years of lessons where you just play these famous classical pieces to now playing something that was expressly written for you with your preferences in mind? Oh, yeah. And I definitely think that's a great way to get kids excited. The other way that I wanted to talk about, about getting children excited about music theory, is uh, to choose repertoire that explores music theory concepts, but also is designed in a way that feels relatable to the mm -hmm. children. And this is definitely the route you go down in your books. Um, so you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, son sonata in G. Um, so I'm going to use right. an example of something from one of your cool songs series. Sure. Uh, I saw one piece called The Dragon's Den of Doom. And the yep. tempo marking says, watch out behind you. Quarter equals 130. And then there's a link to a YouTube page with the song. And also just in general in your books, mm -hmm. the wording is much more casual than in some other method books. So my question is, do you find in your studio that if theory is attached to more accessible pieces like that, that the kids get more excited? I have found that. And for me personally, see, I was classically trained. And so I, I'm just as comfortable playing Chopin, Rachmaninoff, and Liszt as I am playing you know, jazz pieces and blues and boogie-woogie. And, and I, I love both genres and both styles. But with a student, for me to connect with the students many times, I would find out that I could teach them. I, I had one student who came and he had been learning or trying to work on Claire de Lune. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, I will never, and his mother was a piano teacher, and he, he told me that he would never touch the piano again and he would never play classical music ever. And I said, that's fine. I said, let's start with something that you like. What do you like to listen to? And no one had ever asked him that. The, the entire time he had been wow. taking lessons, and, and I said, what do you want to play? And he said, you mean I, I have a say? I can actually, <laughs> and he said, my teacher would select all of my music for me. Right. And I said, I said, well, that's fine. I said, but, but I want you to play what you want to play. Mm -hmm. what, what do you enjoy listening to? And his father was a band teacher, which is funny. His mother was a, a classically trained pianist and phenomenal. And the dad was a, a jazz band teacher at the high school. And so he said, I really like jazz. And so we said, Let's just focus on jazz and blues. We'll teach you the theory. We'll do blues scales. Oh, I'm surprised that Suda had never had any other experience with jazz if his father was a jazz teacher. Well, he had, but he had, he had been so classically focused, you know, that I think his teacher didn't have a background with jazz. And so because of that, 
I think he had learned jazz on the side, but I think the teacher, and I had a teacher when I was younger, where I would learn my classical pieces, but then I would jazz them up. So she had, my piano teacher had actually said to me, Beethoven would roll over in his grave if he heard what you were doing, because I would take something like Fear Elise, you know, and I, I would play it beautifully the way it is written, and she would say, oh, that's wonderful. And then I would say, what if we did? There it is. And I would start to jazz it up. And, and she would say, Beethoven would roll over in his grave. And, and, and I, I said, truthfully, and I tell my students now, Beethoven, Mozart, these were brilliant performers, brilliant musicians, but many times at their concerts, they would change their own music. And that's why people would go to their concerts. And so I tell my students... They were all amazing improvisers. They were amazing improvisers. And I tell my students, if Beethoven saw me do that, he'd watch me for about five minutes, and then he'd kick me off the bench and say, let me show you how it's really done. <laughs> he would you know, make it even more amazing than what I had done. And, and so it's, it's helping the students relate to the music. Yeah. And it's interesting because that student, that same student, he was with me for the next you know, four or five years until he left you know, high school, at the end, we were working on Moonlight Sonata. We were working right. on Debussy. We were, he came full circle. All yeah. of a sudden, he just needed a little time where he went off and he focused on jazz and he did something that he really liked. Right. And then by the end, he would bring Chopin pieces to me and, and list. And, and he wanted to learn these classical pieces. Yeah. I had that exact same situation with a student where they uh, learned, they created their own jazzy version of Furley's, actually exactly what you described, yeah. and she called uh -huh. it a furry Elise, the jazz cat. And then once right. we started doing it that way, then later on, that got her initially excited about piano, and then she eventually ended up playing some of those classical pieces. But it started out with trying to make the music a little relevant to them in exactly the way that you describe. Going off of this idea of applying theory to a wide range of pieces, you offer many books that explore a range of styles, including the very popular book that we mentioned earlier, 100 Left-Hand Patterns Every Piano Player Should Know. Uh, you also offer a lot of resources on jazz theory, including a freebie on your website that integrates theory and jazz improvisation. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of these resources that you offer? Sure. So on my website, I have a lot of free resources that anyone can go to. If they go to my website, musicmotivation.com, there's a section that says shop, and they can click on the shop section, and then there are categories where they have free music, PDFs, and they can go through and look. But some of the music that I have available, I love classical music, so some of the music that I've composed is in more of a new age contemporary style. Mm -hmm. I have an album, Wintertide. I have several different albums that I'll come out with, but I'll come out with the piano music as well. But I have some that are, my, my piano students always laugh because when I come out with an album or a book that is more of a classical contemporary style, they know that my next book is probably going to be a techno pop book, you know, something completely opposite. Techno pop. Yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, different styles. I, I have a book that I came out with that is Ghosts and Goblins and Freaks and Ghouls, and it's this very scary Halloween soundtrack music, and the students can play along with the Minus Tracks. In my Cool Song series, part of that, I composed the music, but then I added Minus Tracks that students can play along with, where they can play with guitars and drums. Mm -hmm. It's like the ultimate metronome, mm -hmm. where they, they have the drums and the sound effects. And so, with some of these free exercises that I have, 
I have a book. Uh, I get asked to do a lot of speaking for music teacher associations and, and present at different chapter meetings. And, and so I pre presented at the Utah State Music Teacher Association meeting on getting started with jazz improv. And so it was supposed to be like a one to two page handout. And I showed up with these you know, 25 or 26 page handouts for every teacher in the room because sometimes I, I do a little more and I add a little more into it. But it was talking about left-hand boogie-woogie patterns, teaching the blues scale. You know, and, and many times I'll, I'll teach the blues scale in a very simple way where I tell them, as long as you know your minor triad, you can play the blues pentascale and then play the full blues scale in any key. Because if you play the minor triad, C, E flat, G. Add four and sharp. And then, yep, exactly. Uh -huh. And I tell them, just take your fourth finger down, half a step from your pinky, third finger down, half a step from your fourth finger, and you've got the first five notes of the blues scale. So there are a lot of resources, free resources that anyone can download on my website that have different songs, different styles. And... That's great. Uh, now I'd like to go a little bit big picture. Um, another way that I think we could get students more excited about music theory is for them to create long-term goals and uh -huh. connect these long-term goals to their other life goals. And this is what you did in your book, uh, Music Motivation Methodology. Can you talk about your philosophy behind this resource and in general about getting students to th think about these theory exercises they encounter in the big picture and not get bogged down? I think so often in life, most people get bogged down. And, and what happens is we have our own little boxes that we kind of create for ourselves and other people create for us where we think we're supposed to be this way or that way. And, and it's interesting because I tell students, and, and in all of my books, if you look at the first page of, of my books, on the, on the very first page, well, page three of every book, it has what I feel is my own personal purpose and mission in life. And then I have a message to piano students and parents. And let me just read my purpose and mission. Yes. It says, my purpose and mission in life is to motivate myself and others through my music and writing to help others find their purpose and mission in life and to teach values that encourage everyone everywhere to do and be their best. And then right below that, I, I have four paragraphs, and I won't read the whole thing, but it's a message from me to piano teachers and piano students. And the first paragraph says this, if you come to piano lessons each week and walk away only having learned about music notation, rhythm, and dots on a page, then I have failed as a music mm -hmm. mentor. I refer to myself as a music mentor. Mm -hmm. Life lessons are just as important, if not more important than music lessons. I would rather have you learn more about goal setting and achieving character, dedication, and personal improvement. To have you learn to love music, appreciate it, and play it is a wonderful byproduct you will have for the rest of your life, a talent that will enrich your life and the lives of others. To become a better musician is wonderful and important, but to become a better person is more important. Mm. So I, I try to help them understand the reason why you're learning this wonderful talent Yes, you can accompany people. Yes, you can compose music. You can share your music. You can perform. But you're learning how to work. You're learning about discipline. You're learning about dedication. You're, you're learning how to struggle at times, but you're learning how that hard work pays off. Yeah. I remember when I was looking at your music methodology uh, 
book thinking about how I could use that with a student. And I like that you have a section where you can write out some of your life goals, like non-musical goals, like I want to be better at soccer. Yeah. Or I want that. And then you could put that right next to your music goals. And I remember thinking that would be such a great thing to do in a lesson, to have a discussion with a student and the way you're describing about mm -hmm. what are some of your big goals? How is your athletic goals related to your music goals? And really oh, getting yeah. into who the student is as a person rather than just zeroing in on nothing but theory or music all the time. Well, it's funny because I had a student one time and, and I, was, I was trying to help them understand about how everything kind of related. And so I, w I was talking to them about kind of strengthening their hands. Mm -hmm. And so I have different, you know, hand grips and vice grips, different things. And, and I said, you like to rock climb, right? And he said, yes. And I said, well, guess what? Playing the piano is going to strengthen your hands mm -hmm. and it will help you be a better rock climber. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he had this connection. Wow, you know, I, I, I can improve in other areas, and what I'm doing here will help me. So they, sometimes they don't see that connection. Yeah, but it all goes back to the big theme, I think, with a lot of this interview, is trying to make everything relatable, whether right. it's relatable through performing something, whether it's relatable through more uh, music that they like, whether it's relatable even in the big picture of what you're talking about, about relating it to rock climbing. The goal here is to make it relatable. Um, any other thoughts or advice uh, you have for teachers about making music theory enjoyable for their students? Well, first, I would encourage piano teachers to know the theory themselves and, and learn it. But it's learning how to apply that music theory. Because I, I tell students all the time, once, and I think of it as levels where they go up, I tell them, if you know the music theory, and then you can sight read anything, because I want you to be able to sight read any music placed in front of you. That, think of that as the first level or the first stage. And then as you move up, I tell them, can you play around with the music? Once you can play it as it is, can you change keys? Can you change styles? Can you, you know, like my book, 100 Left Hand Patterns, I will even tell students, can you take one of your songs and play it five different ways for me? And, and then that helps them start to branch out from just reading the music to improvising and arranging and then composing. It's as if they're following this pattern. And I'll even tell students, we can use the music theory to help us compose. And I will ask them, can you play me a rainbow? Can you play me a waterfall? Can you play me a stream? Can you play me a rock? And I'll say, what does that sound like? And so I will ask them, even when I'm teaching the chords, and this is a good way for piano teachers to help students understand the chords, I will help the students understand what the chord does. If it's a major chord, it, it creates a happy sound. It sounds major. If it's minor, it sounds sad. If it's demented, think diminished. Okay, we start getting into some Halloween. If it's augmented, it needs to go somewhere. If it's a sus chord, it creates suspense or tension, and it needs resolution. Hmm. So, so it's helping create that imagery with the student, but as well, they can then start to make music of their own. Once they start learning the theory and they learn patterns, they can take a third interval. And if they just went up and down playing third intervals, I'll say invert the third interval, and now it becomes a sixth. So C and E becomes E and C. Well, if they can do that, I tell them with the left hand, just do like a one, five, eight left hand pattern, you know, C, G, C, or start on A. And that sounds great. And 
and they're just creating mm -hmm. in this like new age style and all of a sudden it becomes their music mm -hmm. i i had one teacher when i was younger for one of our our recitals she said to me i'd like to have you play one of your compositions because she knew i would compose music and and i said you're going to let me play one of my own compositions at the recital and she said yes and it was a huge turning point for me as a musician after performing my composition i had people who would come up and they would say that was your song you wrote that and they said that was so wonderful you did such an amazing job and all of a sudden it wasn't you played bach beautiful. right you know it, it wasn't you played yeah. beethoven you know so yeah. it the was, compliment is all about you <laughs> it, it, it was your music yeah and i think it's helping piano teachers instill within the piano student that sense of ownership you know where they can take the music theory they can apply it and all of a sudden they're playing around with the music but it becomes theirs it becomes their arrangement or mm -hmm. their composition and that ownership that students have that will motivate them much more so than any stars or, mm -hmm. or checkoffs in a book will yeah. ever do well, I think this ownership is important. I mean, a lot of the resources I read of yours, you talk about the connection in music and language. And I was thinking a lot about like how we learn uh, language. And never when you're learning, say, French or Spanish, would you just learn the grammar rules or just read sentences in French or Spanish that someone else wrote. You would create your own sentences. You right. would try to talk about But in music, for whatever reason, it's not the norm to teach like that. It's just playing things that other people wrote or learning the rules and not like some of the experimenting you're talking about where you try to create something yourself. Before we uh, wrap up today, um, although we spoke very exclusively about music theory, I know you do a lot more than that. Can you give our listeners a general sense of what you're up to today and where everyone can go to learn more about you? Sure. Well, they can go to my website. It's musicmotivation.com and they can learn more about everything I'm doing. I have a YouTube channel where I post weekly YouTube videos, and that is youtube.com slash Gerald Simon. As you mentioned, I do have a podcast. They can just search. My podcast is called Music, Motivation, and More, the Positivity Podcast with Gerald Simon. So they can search for that. I have about 12 albums that I've come out with of my own original music. Again, some are Technopop albums, some are meditation, relaxation music, think like spas, yoga, some are instrumental piano solos, and so we have a wide variety, but they can just type in my name, Gerald Simon, J-E-R-A-L-D-S-I-M-O-N, and they can find that anywhere. I do have a cool song series. If they go to musicmotivation.com slash cool songs, they can learn more about my cool song series. Those were all of the cool songs that were composed during piano students' lessons. We've added minus tracks to them and kind of fun way to help them learn music theory, the fun way. I recently started an essential piano exercise course where because of my, my book, 100 Left-Hand Patterns Every Piano Player Should Know, people started asking if I would film video lessons. And so I started filming the video lessons, and then I came out with a book, Essential Piano Exercises. And as a result of that, more and more of these students who had joined my course, it's EssentialPianoExercises.com is where you can learn more about that. They started asking, well, can you teach about New Age? Can you teach about pop? Can you teach about jazz? And so within this course, we're adding, we're continually adding new books 
I have a schedule where I'm coming out every two months I'm coming out with a brand new book and everyone who is in the course they actually get access to that. My latest book is Essential Jazz Piano Exercises. At the end of this month I'm coming out with Essential New Age Piano Exercises and then I'm coming out with Essential Pop Piano Exercises in a few months and then later this year I'm coming out with Essential Rock Piano Exercises and the books are set up where I teach the music theory of those genres and styles but then I include about 30 to 40 original compositions that I've composed that are in the style of jazz or blues or new age or rock or pop that they can see the practical application. So first what I do is I teach the theory concept and then I demonstrate how to do it and I even include like blank, st uh, blank staff where they have a left hand pattern but they have to improvise the right hand. And then I include an original composition I've done where I demonstrate how I've pieced everything together. So that is something new that I'm working on right now. Plus I have motivational and self-help books I've come out with that they can follow. With all of this, I don't know how you find time to sleep, let alone to do a podcast interview like today. So I really appreciate you coming on. I am glad to be here. I just think it's wonderful what you are doing. And I think Thank you. it's inspiring how you are connecting with piano teachers because we really, as piano teachers, we need to strengthen each other. Mm -hmm. And we can learn so much from each other. And we can really help each other because we have all gone through ups and downs as a piano teacher. Mm -hmm. and so I, I think it's wonderful what you Well, thank doing. you. I appreciate that. And I feel similarly inspired. I mean, it's great to see resources like yours that really are totally in line with my teaching philosophy. So I really encourage everyone listening to check out some of what you offer. I know I'm definitely going to do that in my studio. So thanks for joining. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up Creative Conversations for today's piano teachers. I'll see you next time.